You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Good morning. Have you ever been red-penned? Do you know what I'm talking about? When you put your thoughts down on paper and you think it's great, and somebody reads it and says, you know, you got five misspelled words. This is a run-on sentence. You need a couple per- you know, periods because you know, we can't breathe and breathe. Have you, has this ever happened to you? Like you, you put all your energy into putting this down and you get red penned. I don't know if you know who I live with. <laughs> Bradley Taylor is an excellent editor. <laughs> and there are times when I have to say to him, I just need to get the point across. Like, don't red pen it, just get the gist of this, right? There's other times it really helps when he red pens me. So I bring this up because we're in this book of Ephesians who's written by Paul. And this letter's written by Paul and Paul is like the king of run-on sentences. I mean, have y'all ever read his letters? It's like he just gets so passionate about what he's saying, he can't take a breath. You know, he just puts commas. You know, just keep going. And so this passage that we're going to look at today, this section, the second half of Ephesians chapter one is nine verses. And in the original text, it was all one sentence. And thank goodness in translation over time, we've put a few periods in so we can like, (gasps) and move on, you know, like we got to breathe here. So sometimes Paul's letters get a little convoluted because he just loves to tell you all this stuff. He's like, no, I just got to jam it into this one sentence before I go on to the next one. That sometimes we we lose uh, some of it or we have to really hone in on what he is saying. And so as, as we read this prayer, that he wrote in one long sentence, but we've got a few, we're gonna break it down a little bit so we can breathe. Uh, But as we read this and as we we digest this today, um, I I want you to understand he he is praying for us. He's praying for the church um, in in Ephesus. And and so I just want us to know, I'm gonna pull, there's so much in there because Paul likes to jam it full and he did a good job. And I'm gonna pull just a few things out of of his prayer for us. But before we dive into that prayer, I wanna remind you Pastor Chip talked about last week, really kind of setting up the context of where is this letter being written into, at what time. And so it was written into this region of Ephesus where that and the surrounding area was seen as a place of power. There was, it was a major center of imperial influence during Paul's day where the Roman emperors, they wanted all this, their rule to be celebrated and enhanced. They just wanted to keep getting, gaining, gaining more control. It was also a time of the, where it was the center of religious power. So there were a lot of cults and different belief systems set up and all of these were seeking to gain power and authority as well. So it is into this um, that Paul says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray over the church, the people of Jesus who are in this reality at this time. So let, let me read the whole prayer to you that he prays, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. I'll try and take some breaths in here as we read. So starting in Ephesians 1, uh, 17, it says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, Paul opens this prayer by saying, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened. And I, I got thinking about this, he's opening this prayer and he is praying for wisdom, for revelation, for enlightenment. He is saying, really, he is saying, would you please let the lights go on inside of these people? Would you turn the lights on so that they can really know God and understand the power of the gospel? That is what he is praying for us. And I got thinking about this word enlightened and I started thinking, okay, what does Paul mean? Why does he want lights to go on inside? What is he getting at? And so I don't know if Paul had all the understanding of physics that we have today, uh, but my dad is a retired physicist, and so I consulted him. And I said, Dad, am I correct in understanding these three properties of light? And he, he affirmed that I was correct, all right? So here we go. So we're gonna look at three properties of light, and what does that have to do with Paul saying, I want the light to go on? so that you know God and the power of the gospel. So here's three main properties of light, and you can see this on the screen, we've got this depicted. The first one is reflection. So this occurs when, light, when a ray of light bounces off a surface and it changes direction. It comes, hits a surface, and it changes the direction that it's going. That's reflection. Absorption is when light is absorbed by something and it's converted into energy. Think photosynthesis. When the sunlight hits the plants, it's using this process of photosynthesis to convert this light into life-giving energy to sustain the plant in and, and, and life. And then the third one is transmission. And this occurs when light passes through something and continues going, all right? So that's transmission. So I want you to keep these properties of light in mind, and you don't have to remember them. I'll keep, I'll keep telling you about them as we go, but this, these properties of reflection, absorption, and transmission. So Paul's praying that we would be enlightened. The lights would go on in these ways, but enlightened to what? What does he want us to really see? What does he want us to know? And I, I, I chose three key pieces out of his prayer. He is praying that we would know the hope to which he has called us. He is praying that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. And he is praying that we would know that Jesus is head over all things for the church and we are his body. This is what Paul's praying. So let's look at each of these areas that he's praying that the lights would turn on. So the first one in verse 18, he said, I pray that you will know what is the hope to which he has called you. Unfortunately, I think that we are really good at understanding the hopelessness into which we live, more than we know the hope. 
We know, uh, we have a sense when we can't solve our problems, when we feel helpless or stuck, when we're focused on what we can't do or we can't change. And we do this for ourselves individually. We get to a situation where we're like, there's no hope, there's nothing here. And we do it socially, where we look at our culture or what our, our society is walking through, we're like, this is just hopeless. We're just hopeless. We know that, we get that. But this loss of hope in the present is also often based on a loss of hope for the future. We think, well, there's nothing. This can't change. Nothing can get better. Nothing, nothing can improve from here. And we are well aware of hopelessness. We're not always as aware of hope. And people ask me a lot of times, I'm a counselor, I'm a director at Cornerstone of Hope, and so people ask me, okay, what is hope? And as I have walked with clients and walked with people through, through situations, I've come to understand that hope is a new perspective on my situation. It is a new way of looking at it. Does it mean that the situation immediately gets better? Not always. But it is a new way of looking at myself, at the Lord, at others, at the whole situation. It is, that is the gift of hope. And hope often comes with the word and. All right, so let me teach you. Let me, let me kind of give you an illustration of how this works. Uh, years and years ago, when uh, Bradley and I, we lost a baby in between our boys. And I was at a place of just deep pain and sadness and, and grief and loss. And I remember very much thinking, or being, really feeling the Holy Spirit like drawing me to pick up my Bible. And I was like, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna do that. Because the moment I do that, you're gonna make me feel better. And I'm not ready to feel better. <laughs> I was not okay with it. I was still angry. I was still upset. I was still hurt. But he kept drawing me. And I finally gave in. I'm like, all right, pick up my Bible. And so I, I wasn't very happy about it. <laughs> but I picked it up. And in the midst of my pain, I began reading. And it was into that darkness that God showed me that he both got it. He knew, I am with you, Carrie. I am Emmanuel. I came to be with you. I know that you're angry and you're hurting and it's painful and you don't understand. I'm with you. And I want to come and shine my light in your darkness and reflect it off in a different direction. I wanna give you a new perspective. I wanna give you my hope in the midst of this. I was afraid that hope would negate my pain that I just had to be like, yeah, everything's great, full of hope. But hope means that, that Jesus comes to be with us in it, and he gives us a reflection of a new perspective, a new direction, a new way of looking at it that gives us hope. That is this hope to which we are called. It is not just a hope about what's to come, that, man, heaven's there, it's great, we got that hope, that's great. But Paul is praying, would you know the hope to which you've been called now, into your pain, into your current situation? Uh, at Cornerstone, I get the privilege of hearing people in, encounter this reality of Jesus entering right into the midst of their pain and giving them a new perspective so that they can keep going with hope. I also hear it from my staff at Cornerstone. So often, they'll come to me and say, here's Carrie, here's the weight I'm carrying just from my own life. And they'll often say, I'm gonna be okay. I'm really gonna be okay. And I'm thinking, I know that. 
I trust you. I trust you. And you know why? Because they lean into the Lord. When they are going through the weight, when they're going through that pain, those hard places, they trust he's going to show up as Emmanuel and he's going to give them the perspective they need to move them forward. That is the hope to which we are called. He is, Paul is praying, can, can, can we shine a light that reflects off your pain and sends you in a more hopeful perspective or direction? Our struggles are both hard and we live in hope. And we have a God who gets both of those. And he extends the, both of those to us. We live with this between the times. We live now and we live with the hope of what's to come. And this is what Paul is praying, that, he, that we would know the hope to which God has called us as an, an evidence as we allow him to shine his light into our paint and reflect a perspective of hope in a direction that's different than our human perspective provides. It's not always easy. Doesn't mean it goes away, but it is hope. We are called to this hope that reflects in, in, a, in a way that is not like this world lives. And that is part of Paul's prayer. Next, he prays in verse 19 that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. So I looked at the definition of power and here's, here's what it is. Power is the ability to do something or act in a particular way. It is the capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others for the, or the course of events. Now, this, this word power is not typically a word you use to describe Christians, right? Like when you hear about Christians, oh, they're so powerful. You know, usually we hear like, oh, they're so compassionate. They live with integrity. They're so respectful. And we don't really hear Christians described as they are so powerful because we kind of have this, this mentality of power from a worldly standpoint. And as I got thinking about this, uh, I, you know, I live with all men. And so I am well-versed in the Marvel world. And so what came to mind when I'm reading these definitions of, uh, of power is Thanos, right? So Thanos, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just pause for a minute and I'll come back to you, okay? But uh, if you're with me and you get the Marvel world, you know Thanos, he is power hungry. He wants to get all these infinity stones that represent realms of life. And every time he gets it, he's like, oh, and it like gives him energy, you know? And so he's trying to get all of this so that he can snap his fingers and discern the fate of the world. He basically wants control over people. And that is what we tend to think power means. It's control over people. And really, Paul, um, this book of Ephesians, it's fascinating, but this book talks about power more than any other New Testament book. Paul uses this word power over and over and over again about our walk with Christ. And really, he is contrasting the power-driven focus of Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus was power-hungry. It was a power-hungry place, um, governmentally and even with the religious leaders in there. They wanted power over people. And Paul is contrasting that as followers of Jesus, he is praying that we would not live in that way, but instead that we would grasp the immeasurable greatness of the power that God rose Jesus from the dead with. And he says, that same power lives in you. Wow. Do we think about that very often? This same power that raised Jesus from the dead 
Paul's saying, could you, the lights go on, could you get it? That this same power lives in you. Now, this is linked, I, I wanna make a link here real quick, to another letter that Paul wrote to a man named Timothy. Timothy was a very young leader, and really, Timothy kind of was nervous about this role of leadership. He, he was kind of more on the shy end of things, and he was nervous. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to give him some mentoring, to call him forward in leadership. And Paul writes these words. He says, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And the same Greek word that he wrote to Timothy for power is the same word he's using as he's praying for us here in Ephesians. He is saying, would you know this power that God has given, then would you live out of that? Now, let's process for just a moment here. What would it look like if we actually absorbed this truth, property of light, right? Absorbed the light of this truth that God's resurrection power is at work in us and would it create a, an energy of life-giving to us and to those around us? Would that be the result of absorbing this truth and living out of it? What would it look like for us to live in power? It might look like this. We have the power because of Jesus' resurrection and that power in us to have the ability to do and say things that change situations. Have you ever had someone tell you, when you said that, when you did that, that changed everything for me? Have you ever had that? Has anybody ever done that for you? That one comment, that one thing they did changed everything. That is the power of the resurrection alive in us. Now, not only do we have this ability to do and say things that change situations for people because we get to take this life-giving power and give it out, but we also have power over temptation. We don't have to give in to it. We do not have to do those things that cause death and sin leads to death. We have been giving life-giving power that we can say, no, I will not do that in the power of Jesus. We have been given that power. We also have a power to lead that others want to follow. Lead in a way that others want to follow. Have you ever had somebody say, I've just been, I don't know what it is about your life, I just don't get it, but like there's something there, something interesting. Teenagers, kids, I want you to know, you may think, yeah, that doesn't happen at school, nobody wants to be like me. Don't discount that. The way you choose to live your life, when you choose to live at different others, there is power in that. People are watching you. You are absolutely being watched by your friends, by your peers. You're even being watched by us adults. We learn from you. And the way you live is a powerful way to absorb this resurrection power of Jesus. Live it out. People will see it and there's a want to follow that. With this power, we've also been given the ability to speak words of wisdom, which prove compelling. 
we have this ability to take some of the words that God has given and to speak them in, into a way into our families, into our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our schools that is compelling. We do not have to be in competition and try to one-up everybody, use insults to try to win things. We don't have to do that. We have power to instead to speak words of truth, to speak words of wisdom into situations. We also have power to bring hope and healing where it's most needed. If you were to think for just a moment about someone, whether it's in your own home, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody on the bus, at school, somebody in, in your workplace who was hurting, do you know someone? We all do. And we have been given this power of the resurrection of Jesus in us to bring hope and healing where it is most needed. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to cause wounding. We do not have to do that. We have a different kind of power at work in us that when we absorb the truth of it in, the life-giving presence of Jesus comes out. And that is the impact that we get to have on our world around us. Now, there was a moment uh, not that long ago that I think that I got to experience the power of God just in such a refreshing way. Our group renovations, we're a group of parents of teenagers who are attempting to raise teenagers. <laughs> we're doing our best. Um, and we were reading this book called um, Your Teenager is Not Crazy, and we think that's true. We're not sure yet. So it, it brought up this concept in this book about how teenagers are risk takers. They like to take risk because it gives their, their brain a shot of dopamine and they like to do this. And some of you are like, yes, amen. How do we keep that from happening? I'm not sure yet, but here, here's, here's an idea. Uh, as as we, re, we were reading this, that they're risk takers and we started to talk as a group about our own faith journey. The way we walk with Jesus is there any risk involved? Does our walk with Jesus look boring to our students? Are we mundane? Is it nothing major, nothing challenging? There's no risk involved, it's just easy. Why would they wanna follow a savior like that? They're made to take risks. When was the last time that you took a risk? That you felt the Holy Spirit say to you, I want you to give extra to this. I need you to say yes to this. I need you to be obedient to me here. I need you to trust me there. And you did it. In our group, we decided, okay, we're gonna practice this. So the next week, our group came back and we shared testimonies. Remember those testimonies? We actually share a story about when something was difficult, something hard was going on in your life and how God showed up in it and he did something mighty that only God can do, how he provided in a way only he could. I still remember my grandpa's stories about they had no money and he got, you know, God provided. It was just amazing stories, right? Do we share these? That night in our renovation group, when we were sharing these testimonies of the power of God at work, and it wasn't just salvation stories. This was, I mean, a year ago this, two years ago this. You know, this was more up-to-date stuff that God was doing. We were absorbing the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our everyday life. And we left that place energized to keep living it out. You know what our, the hardest part for us was? That our teenagers weren't there. 
They were over the axis doing their thing. We wanted them there so that they could absorb this, hear this. Do you share your testimony? When was the last time you told somebody, hey, you know, last week I was really struggling with this and here's what God did. Here's how he showed up. Here's what he told me. Here's what his word said. The power of testimony. This is the power that we have been given. We absorb it and it energizes us to keep going. Paul's saying, turn the light on, absorb it so that it translates into energy, life-giving momentum for the people around you and the world we're in. The last part of his prayer that I wanna bring up to you is when, he, oh, you know what? Yep, last part, last part of prayer. Uh, he says in verses 22 and 23, he says, he, he, meaning Jesus, he is the head over all things for the church which is his body. Now here's interesting. This is the first time in scripture that we are called the body of Christ. And for us, it's kind of like, yeah, we've always been that, but not here. This was Paul's Holy Spirit inspiration. I think this will help them understand. You are the body of Christ. This was the first time we were given this name. And Paul is praying that Jesus, we would understand Jesus is the head over all things for the church and we are his body. Now, if you know me at all, you know we gotta talk about the brain a little bit here. So if, if Jesus is the head, do you know that your body doesn't function without your brain telling it what to do? You understand that? Like even if it's reflexes, that is happening so rapidly fast in your brain that it doesn't always tell you, oh, you need to, you know, sneeze. You just do it, you know, but it's, it's telling you these things constantly. But if, if Jesus is the head, if he is that part of us, then that would mean he directs our thoughts, our beliefs, our hope, our perspectives, our interactions, our faith. He is the director, he is the head. He is the one who tells us the body how to then live it out. He transmits through us to this world, his light and his love. That is the third property of light here, the transmission. He's the head, we're the body, we do it this way. Now, have, have you all prayed this often? You probably have, I have, where I would pray, God, will you please be with me today as I go to do this task? Will you be with our boys as they go to school? Will you be with Bradley? And we pray that God will be with us. And I remember there was a time when the Lord said, Carrie, I need to flip this on you. I need you to pray that you will be with me today instead. You see, because when, when, when we're praying, will you be with us? The Lord's like, that's already done. I already came. Emmanuel, I gave you the Holy Spirit. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's done. But what I need is for you to allow me to be the head and you to be my body. Are you with me today? Because you see, that changes everything. If I am with him when I go to work, then I do what he would do. If I'm with him when I go to school, then I treat people like he would. If I'm with him and he's the head, then I just live that out. And that is part of what Paul is praying. Would you please let the lights go on and you would transmit who he is to this world. We often want him to be in sync with us when really we have to be in sync with him. As the head, we're the body and we do what the head desires. We can't do, the body can't, can't act without the head and we need him to be that. I wanna read an illustration um, f 
from uh, this commentary on the book of Ephesians by William Barclay, because it really gives a neat illustration to this point. This is uh, taking place, this isn't scriptural, this is just imagination, but it kind of brings the point home. Uh, this is when Jesus had been uh, taken back into heaven, ascended back into heaven after he had been on earth. The angels were talking to him and Gabriel said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men and women down there. I did, said Jesus. And said Gabriel, do they all know about how you love them and what you did for them? Oh no, said Jesus, not yet. Just now, only a few people in Palestine know. What have you done, said Gabriel, to let everyone know about it? Jesus said, I have asked Peter and James and John and a few others to make it the business of their lives to tell others about me and the others, still others, and yet others, until the furthest person on the widest circle knows what I have done. Gabriel looked very doubtful, for he knew well what poor stuff human beings were made of, amen. Yes, he said, but what if Peter and James and John grow tired? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down in the 21st century, people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? And Jesus answered, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. To say that the church is the body means that Jesus is counting on us. Are we with him? Are we with him? And not just asking him to be with us. Is he the head? Are we the body? And are we transmitting his, his light, his power, his hope, his love in the way we live out what the head tells us to do to this world? Paul prays that as a church, that the lights would go on, that we would know who we are, that we are a people of hope because we know that God shines his light into our pain and our sin and he reflects a new direction and a new perspective on our lives, not just for eternity, but right now. Do we know that we are a people that have been given a spirit of power, not of fear? A spirit of power because we absorb the power of Christ's resurrection and we convert that into life-giving and life-changing power in, in our lives and in the lives of those around us? Do we, do we live like people who've been given a spirit of power? And do we know that we are the body of Christ who makes Jesus the head and we align ourselves with him and we transmit his light and his hope and his love into the world? Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you for these, my fellow believers. I thank you for Paul's message. I thank you for light. I thank you for what you teach us. And I pray that we as your church would we would see answers to Paul's prayer, that the lights would go on in us and that we would, would interact and live in such a way that we reflect hope, that we absorb the power of your resurrection. We don't live in fear, but we live out of that power to have influence and to change lives, to live above sin. Father, that we would... Um, that we would also live as the body with you as the head, that we would transmit who you are to this world, that we would say we're with you. 
And I want to agree now with Paul's prayer. As he said, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give Lima Community Church a spirit of wisdom and revelation as they come to know me. So that with the eyes of their hearts enlightened, they may know what is the hope to which he has, I have called them, the immeasurable greatness of my power for those who believe, according to the working of my great power. And that they would know that I have put all things under the feet of Jesus, and, he has, and I've made him the head over all things for the church, for Lima Community Church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. This week, would you reflect, absorb, and transmit the light and the love of Christ to this world? You are dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.